Thanks, Andy, and uh, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, my dear young people. Tonight's study is not one of my uh, studies for the judgment seat, but as we go through tonight's study, you'll see that it is somewhat related. So I'll make a few comments about that as we look at this particular subject tonight, which is all about gratitude and thankfulness. Now, a couple of years ago, what started me thinking about this subject was a couple of years ago, I came across a research paper. Uh, It was put out by Professor Robert Emmons from the University of California. I've actually downloaded the extract from the paper, if anyone's interested, and you can actually download it from the university's website. And it was a long-term research project looking at the effect of gratitude and thankfulness using empirical sort of analysis and and, and, uh, methodologies. And what they did, just to very go through the, the background of the study very briefly, was that they carried out the study on about 200 undergraduate students, divide them up into three different uh, clusters, and they had the, diff- the students did not know what really the study was all about, so they used all the different sort of mechanisms that they often apply in these sort of science uh, research projects, and they had you know, data reduction and... Uh, and, and different sorts of methodologies that they employ. And they had each group focus on a different thing. And one of the groups, one of the clusters, was called the gratitude cluster. And one thing this gratitude cluster had to do was that to sort of come together every week with the people that were carrying out the study. And they had to then list five things that they were grateful for in the week that had passed. So that's all they really had to do, that particular group. That's all they had to do, all they had to focus on was five things and they kept sort of a a gratitude journal as they went through the week. Now, I don't want to waste a lot of time looking at the the study, but they looked at things like, is is gratitude and well-being a correlation or a causative? Is is it just that grateful people have this extra well-being factor or does being grateful actually cause a sense of well-being? So they looked at all these different things as I said, data reduction, manipulation checks, and there's all the tables and the studies that, that were sort of carried out as part of the research project. It was really quite interesting. Um, and they had to look at all the things like alternative explanations and, and uh, you know, was there a sort of a placebo effect? And all those sort of things had to be taken into account. But one of the groups, as I said, had to come together and put together five things that they were grateful for. Just trying to find the page that had the list of... Uh, here were some of, the, some of the examples of some of the things that they were grateful for just in the last week. People expressed things. It's not a religious uh, study at all, but because it's in America, there's, there's sort of a religious aspect that a lot of people think were thankful for God and all those sorts of things as well. But things like the generosity of friends that they'd experienced, people even put things, I say trivial, things that you might consider trivial, like just waking up in the morning was one of the things that, that, that featured in the uh, gratitude list. Wonderful parents. One of them even is thankful for the Rolling Stones. I don't know how that all works. So there you go. So, well, the interesting thing was when the um, study was put together, the results are quite amazing. And this is what really attracted me to the subject. Um, I might just read off the screen. I hope you don't mind me having my back to you. Is that all right there? Um, The gratitude cluster reported higher levels of alertness, enthusiasm and attentiveness. So that's sort of a a subjective type of thing, but it's interesting that that was one of the things that came through from that gratitude group. 
I was interested in some of these other factors. The gratitude cluster of people were more likely to have helped someone else in that week or in the subsequent weeks. The gratitude cluster had a greater sense of feeling connected to other people. This is really interesting too. The gratitude cluster placed less importance on material things than the other clusters that they were compared to. Even right down to sort of quite interesting things. The gratitude cluster experienced better sleep, both in, uh, in terms of duration and quality of their sleep. Remember, all they've done different than the other clusters is they've recorded five things a week that they were grateful for. And look at the, look at the, the, the results that are, that are coming out of that. The gratitude cluster made more progress towards personal goals. Look at this. They reported better health and fewer physical symptoms than the other clusters. And they felt better about their life as a whole. Now that is pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing outcomes. As I said, you can download this study and read it yourself. But you have to admit that's, that's quite an incredible result, isn't it? From simply recording and having to think about and crystallise, I suppose, and bring to your consciousness, but writing down five things that you are grateful for that you've experienced that week. And the results, as I said, speak for themselves. So when I, when I read through that and thought about it, I started to think about gratitude and thankfulness from a biblical perspective. And that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about tonight. Does the Bible indicate a benefit for gratitude and thankfulness? Um, are they things that God values? Are they things that God thinks are important for us to have and to develop? And are they things that we should talk about more and try and achieve more in our life? And so I want to think about this this morning, this morning, tonight, sorry. Um, it's an interesting, uh, I suppose, I don't know, conundrum or, or circumstance that, that people in third world countries who don't have the material blessings that we have often feature higher in studies on, on gratitude and thankfulness, which is sort of, a, a, sort of a, a, an interesting concept, isn't it? Just, just taking sort of, a, I suppose, our epoch in, in history, say, following World War II, and look at the, the material benefits we experience and the things that we have by virtue of living in this particular period of time, you think we should be, we should be really the happiest people that have ever lived on the planet, the, you know, here's some statistics about you know, those who live post-World War II. Real income, the, the income that you, the power of the dollar that you have and you, you receive, real income per capita has doubled since the 1960s. So we can buy more, double what we could buy you know, in the 1960s. Life expectancy for us has nearly doubled in the past century. So people that would expect to live in their 40s, now we can expect to live in our 80s and 90s and take that for granted. Average house sizes, the floor space of the average house has doubled uh, since World War II. And look at this, this stat here, I find this just staggering. The average Westerner, that's those who live in the, the Western world, I suppose the you know, US and England and here in Australia, for example, the average Westerner is more prosperous than 99.4% of everyone in the world? No of anyone who has ever lived, ever. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? We, just us here, are amongst you know, 99.4% of the most wealthiest people that have ever lived on this, in, in, in history. So it's, that's quite amazing. Yet, the results are the percentage of those who describe themselves as happy, so if you were asked, do you feel happiness in your life, is less than was 
would have been experienced before World War II. And then 25% of all those living in the Western world will suffer, suffer bouts of depression in their life. So there's this interesting sort of correlation as material things have actually got better. Um, we've started to feel worse. So the materialism and, and things that we have don't necessarily correlate to, to well-being and, to sense, and a sense of, of happiness in our life. And we're going to see if the Bible sort of supports those, those concepts as well. That's just from Wikipedia, just talking about the empirical connection, that there's many studies, not just the one I mentioned, there's many studies out there that, that show the connection between experiencing well-being, um, both physical and emotional well-being, with gratefulness, and the links are, are quite powerful. We won't go through all that tonight. Now, I just want to make a little, little caveat, I suppose, or a little statement. I, I'm not trying to trivialise someone who is suffering uh, uh, clinical depression in, in your life, if, that's, if you are suffering that or going through that. That, you know, that, that, is a, that is a medical condition and, and, and you need to see and, and be dealt with by a medical professional. I'm talking about general sense of anxiety that we suffer in our life, um, general uh, melancholy and, and stress and those things that we suffer as a, as a result of living um, that we experience. And just want to talk about what the Bible says about those things. Now, this is one of the, I suppose, the key verses that our mind goes to when someone raises this issue of of thankfulness. And I just want to read this. I put most of tonight's slides up on the screen because tonight's supposed to be a, a lighter evening, so I'm not going to sort of get into exposition or anything. We're simply just going to throw some ideas out there for us to think about. This is a well-known passage from Philippians 4, and Paul writes, Be careful for nothing, which most translations, ESV, the New King James, and NIV, etc., have don't be over-anxious or don't feel anxiety. Don't be over-anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's verse 6. The very next verse, verse 7, says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, just in the space of those two verses, from verses 6 to 7, we've travelled a huge sort of emotional road, haven't we? A huge distance emotionally. We've gone from anxiety and over, being over-anxious and feeling the stress of that anxiety, to verse 7, you know, just a couple of lines on in the Bible, to experiencing the peace of God that passes, passes, what I used to say that, passes understanding. Okay? Something that we, I'm sure all of us would love to experience and all of us would, would sort of uh, look towards as a sort of an ultimate um, outcome. The peace of God in our life. The, in the Greek, it's the word irene, which has the idea of tranquility and, and, um, and unity and all these beautiful concepts that are tied up in that idea of the, the peace of God. It's probably equivalent to the shalom from the Old Testament, which we'll talk about. So the, the peace of God is, is something we can experience. And here we go from anxiety to the peace of God. And I ask the question, what is the... And this is what I'm going to ask in all the verses we're going to look at. What's the... What's the connection? What's the fulcrum or the, the, the tipping point from anxiety in our life to experiencing the peace of God? And you'll see this, this concept pop up right through. The thing that links the two concepts together from moving emotionally from anxiety to the peace of God is thanksgiving. And there's the power of, of thanksgiving that helps change that mindset, if you like. And that's what we're going to think about tonight as we go through these verses. So as I said, there's, 
We start off feeling the burden of anxiety. And then, as I said, verse, the next verse, verse 7, changes to feeling the peace of God that passes all understanding. And the fulcrum there, the, the tipping point, is thankfulness. And we'll see that as a concept come up again and again. Here's another well-known verse on the peace of God. Colossians 3. And again, the juxtaposition of these ideas in the, in the verse here. Here we've got the peace of God, letting the peace of God rule in your heart. So control your hearts and your emotions and your, your thoughts and your outlook. The peace of God as the ruling sentiment in your hearts. And be ye thankful. So you see the link of those two ideas again. Thankfulness and experiencing the peace of God. It's very powerful. Now I thought about this on a sort of a doctrinal level as well, I suppose. You know, and this is something that's going to come out a little bit in our studies on the judgment seat and, and, and salvation and those issues we're going to talk about this week. I believe thankfulness and gratitude to God are the, the active ingredients in the atonement. They're really the underlying power of the atonement. And there's so many verses to support that. You know, we love God because he first loved us. There's this reciprocal thing that's taking place if we really appreciate all those emotional realities that are built into our salvation even the word salvation when we say it's salvation salvation and it's such a it's sort of a theological word that we just rattle but saved you know think about what saved means on an emotional level we are saved salvation redemption these beautiful words that that talk about a change of uh, of a dire situation and being delivered out of that and all these wonderful concepts and you know, God always wanted even, even the children of Israel to look back to where they'd come from, to go back and think about what they were in Egypt and how they were slaves and how they groaned and they felt the oppression to what they had now, that they'd been delivered from that and saved from that. And that, that, that becomes in a metaphor for our salvation in the New Testament, doesn't it? All those words of groaning and, and, and redemption and all those words from the Old Testament become you know, descriptive of what God has done for us in Christ. And, and the same emotional response is expected from God. You know, Paul uses this schema where he says, you know, there's a number of places, but probably in Ephesians it's really clear. He says, you know, remember what you were without God in the world. So you were without God. You were aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel. You were this, you were that. And now you're being brought nigh. And, and, and he uses that schema of the then and now to make us think about that and to, to crystallise this in our mind of, uh, and to generate gratitude and thankfulness. And I think that's really the, the power um, of, of, of the atonement. It's really about being grateful to God. And, uh, and hopefully that'll come through in our, our, our other studies, our main studies as well. Now here's, you know, just going to the book of Romans. And, and uh, we'll talk about these concepts as well during the week. But, you know, Romans you know, is very, very doctrinal and very, uh, I suppose, expositional. A lot of our... Um, dealings with the book of Romans, but let's try and get the, the emotional power of the book of Romans as well. And, for example, we've got this description in Romans 7, where Paul, Paul describes himself in Romans 7 and uses these, these terms to describe his feelings when he fails God. And he says in Romans 7, you know, I'm sure you're all aware of it, you know, there, there, there are things that he knows he should do and he doesn't, and he fails to do, and there are things that he doesn't want to do, but he does, and he knows that they're wrong. And he feels the wretchedness of that. He feels the, the, the burden and the guilt of that. And, and, it's, and it's real to him. He feels the pain. And he says these words um, in Romans 7, I see another law in my, member, in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me to captivity. And there again, captivity is a, 
as I said, a, a metaphor based on the experience of the children of Israel in Egypt, isn't it? Coming out time and time again in the, in the story of redemption. Um, and he feels he's, he's captive to this body. He says, he says uh, this, this um, body of death, he mentions in verse 24. And a lot of expositors, you know, Brother Carter included, see this um, word picture there that Paul's using, that he's describing, he's using this uh, torture method that the Romans used to use, where they'd get a dead body and they'd tie, it, tie a living person to a dead body and as the dead body decayed and rotted and putrefied, it would, it would, the, the rot would creep into the living person. It was a form of torture. And a lot of people see that Paul is using that sort of metaphor in, this, in, this, this, in these words. So we're linked to this, this, this body that's wretched. And you feel, that, feel the, the power of Paul's words, this wretched man that I am. So there he is describing himself as captive, as a tortured captive. And that's Romans 7. But then you go to Romans 8, just flip over the page or a couple of verses on and the whole tone changes dramatically, doesn't it? And then you get to the end of Romans 8 and instead of using the term of a captive, now he's using the term of a conqueror. Not just a conqueror, more than a conqueror, so a super conqueror. And he says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You think, but Paul, only a few minutes ago you were, you were wretched. And you're saying that you failed God and you were admitting that you'd failed But now you're saying you're a conqueror. Really? And he says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, we ask the question, there's a, there's a big emotional distance travel there, isn't it? From this wretchedness to this conquering um, expression that he uses. And again, we ask the question, where's the fulcrum here? Where's the link between these two, the change that we experience in Romans 7 and Romans 8 that all of us experience as well in our own life? And I think the, I think the fulcrum there is in verse 25, right at the end of chapter 7, before the tone changes and you get to chapter 8, verse 1, that says, there is therefore no condemnation, no judgment to them. The tone changes from verse 25 where he says, I thank God. And as I said, that is why I believe it's the, it's the active ingredient in the, in, in the atonement. I thank God. It's the sense of appreciation and a comprehension of the appreciation of what God has done for us and, and our position, our position as a result of that. But you've got to appreciate it and understand it and believe it and comprehend it in order for that to be, to be powerful. So hopefully that makes some sense as well. Now another really important verse on the subject of, of thankfulness is in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 and you've probably all heard this verse before and I'll just read that out it says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you a couple of interesting things built into that verse it's actually it's the will of God that we should give thanks can you see that's that's what God's trying to evoke in us that's, that's really at the end of the day God sends his son he calls us and, and what's, the, what's, what's the response he wants from us? To sort of keep a list of rules and to do this and do that? Not, not necessarily. The response, the underlying response is one of gratitude. That's the will of God concerning us. He wants us to feel the power of redemption and, and, and salvation. But I just want to focus on this little word that starts off that verse. He says there, in, in everything give thanks. 
So giving thanks is not like something we just do in retrospect. We make up a shopping list later on and we say, well, let's thank God for all these things he's done for us in the previous week. And that's what the, you know, the guys in that research project did. The Bible was taking it one step further and says, in everything, give thanks. While you are experiencing things, give thanks. In the middle of either the blessing or, as it might be, uh, the negative situation you're experiencing, while it's taking place, give thanks. And there's an, an immediate immediacy about that. And it puts us right into the, the heart of what we're experiencing and brings God into it at the same time. So in these things, while they're taking place, he says, give thanks. And that's really, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to do, but it's really the, the, the power of thankfulness. When, when we're feeling the emotions of things, good or bad, bring God into it straight away and give thanks for that, that particular experience that we're, we're going through. You know, um, some of us in, in our life, for, for one reason or other, might have to see a counsellor or a, or a psychologist or someone like that if we're you know, suffering or going through some sort of um, problem. And one of the things that the, the psychologist will try and do for many of us is to get us to live or to think in the moment, in the present. Because so many, so many anxieties and problems are caused by either um, fear of the future and fear of what's going to happen or regret um, about things that have already happened in the past. And we get... We can either get fixated on, on both of those sort of directions. And so we have to talk through those issues and try and focus on, on the here and the now. And nothing anchors us to the present more than thankfulness and gratitude for what we are experiencing right now in our life. And, and that's one of the things we're going to make some lists in a moment about things. But you know, try and try and thank God for things that you experience as you experience them. As you're, you're driving down the road and you see a beautiful sunset, or you see a, uh, you know, an eagle soaring through the sky or circling, you just, just thank God for the beauty of nature. Thank God for all the wonderful things that you that you have experienced. Someone shows you kindness or or friendship. But even when negative things happen and and things challenge you, then you you thank God for those things while you're while you're in the storm. Thank God for those things as well. Now, as I said, we're trying to bring thankfulness into everyday life, not just when big ticket items happen, but also when everyday life happens, to bring God into it. I'm just gonna, I just made a couple of things, just a list of a couple of things that we can thank God for every second of the day. What about thanking God for your eyesight? What a miracle is taking place in your head right now. The fact you're looking at me is pretty much the, the beautiful thing, isn't it? <laughs> but there are times you get to look at much more beautiful things. Um, you know, the, the richest man in the world, I don't know whoever he is, um, I was going to say Kerry Packer, but we'll use him later on as another example. Uh, the, he, the richest man in the world would give up his entire wealth to get his eyesight back, wouldn't he? If, if that's what it took. That would, he would do anything. You have a priceless thing happening in your head right now that God has, in his genius, designed and, and given us. And we just take it for granted. In fact, now I've got to wear glasses all the time. I start to take it more and more, more, not less for granted than I probably did when I was younger. You know, even more sort of substantial than that is our very life. 
We are, we are sentient, living things, and we can experience things around us. We have consciousness. You know, we just take that for granted because it's just, it's just sort of so normal to us. Think about what a miracle is that we are living and interacting with, with other things. It's just it's a, it's a miracle in itself. They have the, the, the ruach of God that, that sort of gives us life. It's sort of a, an amazing thing that we experience. What about your legs? Now, legs are miracles too. You know, they, they, they carry us through life. Um, and again, if you're a quadriplegic or, or someone who, who, who was lame, what, you'd give anything, wouldn't you? You'd give all your wealth up. You'd give anything to be able to walk again and to, and to experience the movement of, that, that, you, that you don't have. So these things are priceless and they're, they're ours and God's given them to us as a, as a gift. Just your general health that we take for granted. Just the fact if you're sitting here now and you're not experiencing pain, you know there are literally hundreds of thousands of people in this world who'd swap places with you on that basis alone right now, that you are not experiencing pain right now. And there are probably some of you that are, so, but, but those of us who, don't, who aren't experiencing pain right now, I, I just, just think of the, the power of that. And all the little things, you know, the, the, as we said, the sunsets, the eagle soaring, the, the beautiful coastline, all those things that we just see and we take for granted. We should, be, we should bring God into our consciousness and, and thank God for those things and generate this, this present benefit right, right here and now. And the list could go on and on, on, our family, our spouse, our employment, those are on the pension, they just get the pension that turns up every fortnight. Um, you know, all these things that we experience. But as I said, not just the positive things, but the things that challenge us in life, things that we find hard. I know it's easy for me to say it from the platform like this, but I've got to try and live this in my life as well and to thank God when we go through those experiences um, and experience problems and difficulties. Um, I'm just going to make a few comments that, about, about the law. And I know when people talk about the law of Moses, half, most of the audience will sort of glaze over and switch off. But this is really interesting, so try and keep awake for this if you can. Um, just this link between, that we, we saw in you know, Thessalonians and, and Colossians, this link between peace and thankfulness is a, is a link that wasn't just invented in the New Testament. It goes right back into the law of Moses itself and probably beyond that. Beyond that. But this, this link's there in a number of places, but one of them, in, one of the really interesting manifestations of this link between peace and thankfulness is the sacrifices. Now, if you remember, uh, the sacrifices are listed in you know, Leviticus chapter 1 and Leviticus 5 and 6, I think, as well. And there's, there's six sacrifices all up. And you've got the, the, first, the first three are the really well-known ones, or the, the biggies, if you like. We've all heard of the burnt offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering. They're the, they're the big sacrifices that we, we hear about a lot. But in all the lists of the sacrifices, number four on all the lists is this really, really fascinating one called the peace offering. Now, it's, it's, it's a celebration offering. It's celebrating peace with God. It's, it's not an offering in itself that represents the achievement of peace with God because they came through the first three sacrifices, if that makes sense. So these first three represent God's work in Christ, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. What, what, you know, and, that, and Hebrews will talk about in a moment. Hebrews says these things were all fulfilled in Jesus. However, the fourth one that gets put in next is this peace offering. It celebrates what it means to have peace with God or shalom with God. The idea of shalom. 
We're just going to think about this peace offering for a moment. Um, it's really detailed if you want to read about it in Leviticus 7. We haven't got time tonight to, to go through that in any great detail. As I said, it celebrates this fellowship, this shalom that we have with God. And shalom has the idea of agreement, tranquility, welfare, joy, happiness. If you look up shalom, it's got all these ideas built into it. And we have this shalom with God. And you think, well, that's, that, that in itself is quite amazing, quite wonderful. But there's one extra little thing in the sacrifices that links that links the peace offering to thankfulness. And the peace offering had these little optional extras you could do. You didn't have to. I'm trying to explain how the optional extras work, and the closest I can come to it is a McDonald's meal deal. But uh, you'll, you'll see it is, it is relevant in a moment. You could, you could add some extra things to the, to the package and change the peace offering into another sort of offering. So it starts off as a peace offering, and you added in some some... Bread and oil. So that's why I went the McDonald's route. So you add in some bread and some fried in a bit of oil. And there you go. You've got a different sort of offering. It's called the trespass offering. So it is a peace offering. Not a trespass, sorry. A thanksgiving offering. Totally ruined that, didn't I? So it starts off as a peace offering. You can apply the options, add the extra things in, the little cakes and the oil. And it becomes a thanksgiving offering to God. Now this, again, links the two ideas, peace and thanksgiving, linked together in this, this very uh, intricate way. Now, just a couple of facts about this very special offering. It, it appears all the way through the Old Testament. You can find that in, you know, Jonah, in the, Jonah says, I will offer to you a thanksgiving offering and pay my vows unto God, you know, when he's in the belly of the, the, the fish. Um, it pops up in the Psalms and the sons of Korah. and all, It's mentioned time and time again, this, this thanksgiving offering. And, and it's sort of almost a throwaway little offering here in Leviticus. Uh, it's just sort of tacked onto the end of the peace offering, and yet it features so prominently um, as, you, as you go through the uh, rest of the Old Testament. It's quite an amazing little, little sacrifice, little offering. Now, just a couple of facts about it, and hopefully these facts tie in with um, what we're trying to talk about tonight. The thing about... One of the, the, I think the crucial thing about the offering was it, was, it was a free will offering. You, didn't, you know, all the other offerings are stipulated that if you touch a dead body, you had to do this, and there's, you know, the day you had to do it's stipulated, and it's very much a regimented, prescribed type of thing. There was no commandment to keep um, a thanksgiving offering. It was something you did out of free will, out of a spontaneous response to God. You offered this free will offering. I haven't got on the slide there, but also that offering, out of all the other ones had to be eaten on the day it was, it was made. It couldn't, couldn't be held over. And it was, it, that's sort of unique, and that makes it... Most commentators say that that seems to indicate that God held it in, in, very special, um, in a very special way that was very important to God, this particular sacrifice. And I think that is linked in with the fact it was a free will offering. It wasn't something you had to do under the law. So it's quite incredible. Another thing about it, as well as being spontaneous and voluntary... You, it was the only one of the sacrifices that the average Joe, the average punter, like you and me, got to eat. The other ones were eaten by the, the priest and the, the priest's family, etc. This sacrifice, you got to eat as well. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, there is, again, evidence of this present benefit that thankfulness brings. You know, we talked about that university study, the benefits of thankfulness. And here God is showing us in symbol 
you can eat this, you can taste the, 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 the sweetness of this flesh and experience it and there's, there's a benefit that comes out of being thankful. And I think that, that is sort of built into that symbol. And also the, the remains of that sacrifice were burnt with what was called the daily or the continual burnt offering that was offered every day. And to me that again is symbolic of the fact that thankfulness is something that's associated with the daily sacrifice to God. It's, yes, it's spontaneous, yes, it's voluntary, but it's something we should be doing every day of our life and bringing into our everyday experience and, and linking the two together. And that's, that's a very, I think, a very powerful little thing to keep in mind. So, yeah, sometimes the things in the law of Moses might seem a bit weird, but they're good little memory uh, prompters, aren't they, to remember the idea of, of, a, of, of a, a thanksgiving sacrifice to God that you voluntarily make. And you know, Hebrews, Hebrews 10, for example, makes this big point, and that's really one of the basic messages of the book of Hebrews, that the, the sacrifices are finished. And that was the, one of the underlying points that the writer of the Hebrews is trying to make, that sacrifices were not effective. They didn't make the, the offerer perfect. They didn't, they didn't achieve anything in themselves. And he says they're all being superseded in Christ. And then you get the chapter 13 of Hebrews, the very end of the book, and the writer says, you know, he said, the sacrifices are all over Red Rover, it's all gone. And you think, well, that's good. And then he starts bringing them up again. And you get the chapter 13, he says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Now, if, if you look that word praise up in, in Strong's Concordance, it's the thanksgiving offering. This is, this is going back to the thanks. Let us offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And some of your margins might have Leviticus 7 there, if you've got you know, the, the Bible with the center column margin. Leviticus 7 is what it's talking about. It's talking about this, you know, the, the McDonald's cakes. and if you, you add them into your peace offering and you offer to God a thanksgiving offering. Now, he's not talking about the literal offering there, is he? Because he's already told us in chapter 10, the literal offering's over, it's finished. Don't, don't even get bogged down in it. But now we offer to God, not the burn offering, not the trespass, not the sin offering. They're all fulfilled in Christ. But our response is not fulfilled in Christ. That's us. That's what we bring to the equation. That's the active ingredient that we contribute to the, to the atonement. We, don't, we can't do anything, but we bring, we bring gratitude and thankfulness to God. And that is how it all works. And notice he says continually. And that's a little play on the, the burn offering. was often called the, you know, the continual burn offering. The, we, we do this continually. And we add it to our daily experience, our daily life. And then he defines it a bit more. That is the fruit of our lips. So it's a, it's a praise thing. It's a gratitude expressed to God in praise. And not just, not just praise, which can sometimes just be theoretical if it's just spoken or sung, but to do good and to fellowship. Don't ignore those things as well because they're part of the sacrifices that give pleasure to God. And this idea of Sacrifices giving pleasure to God is, 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 you know, is built into the whole terminology of sacrifice. As a, you know, it says that um, the smoke of the sacrifice that went up as a sweet-smelling savour and, and God takes pleasure in it. So it, it uses these, these sort of human terms that... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but you know, when I, if I come home from work and I smell a curry when I come in the door, it's a nice, beautiful smell, I take pleasure in it, or the neighbours have got a barbie on. In a sense, when we... 
when we do things and we fellowship and we do good, it's, it's something that God breathes in, it smells it like it's a beautiful fragrant and smell and God, God likes it and it gives pleasure to him in that sense. So, so sacrifices are still around. Yes, they're fulfilled in Christ, the ones that relate to that, but our response is still there and we still keep those things. So if it's something that we should be doing daily, if it should be linked to the daily burnt sacrifice, what are some practical things that we can try and do to build thankfulness into our life? I mean, of course, it's, it's an attitude we're trying to develop, but like all attitudes, it takes us uh, to sort of try and prompt ourselves and to sort of develop those things in our life as well, isn't it? And so this little idea... Um, it's interesting, I think somebody mentioned the other night that last time I was here I gave out those little uh, little pads that had um, seven minutes with God. Little, and I've, I've actually modified that now. I've got three extra spaces on the bottom of that pad that says list three things that you're thankful for in the morning before you start work so, or during the day. So try to bring into your life um, and try to bring into your conscious plane, your consciousness things that you're thankful for. It's, it's a power that works in your life, the power of gratitude. And, and it doesn't have to be grand, lofty things either. As I said, it can be everyday things that, that make you just thank God, things that we sometimes take for granted, just to try and make that real and bring us into the present and bring God into our present. It's something we should try and do every day. So let's make it a daily thing, as Hebrews 13 says, continually link it to the daily sacrifice. Um. I'm not going to go into this in much detail, but I just try to catalogue some things that are barriers to gratitude and thankfulness. And probably the biggest one is, is selfishness, or this idea of, I deserve things. Because this, this sense of entitlement that, that we have, we, we expect that we're going to have a good life. We expect we're going to have three meals a day. We expect we're going to have good friends. We expect we're going to be looked after in hospital if something happens to our health. We expect that these things are sort of... Us in the Western world expect these things as a matter of course. We, have, we feel there's almost a sense of entitlement to them. And so when they don't happen as, as we feel they should, we, 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 feel the, we feel depression from that. We feel, we feel anxiety from that. And it's because we have this expectation. You know, people in other cultures even today or people who've lived in times past don't expect these things as a matter of course and when they happen to them when they get three meals in a day it's something that they are thankful for and they feel this this gratitude for those things that we just take for granted and i think that's probably the biggest barrier to, to gratitude murmuring and complaining is a isn't isn't sort of a, a negative thing that that sort of uh strips away gratitude if you're always got a, if you've got a complaining mentality that that murmurs and complains about things rather than seeing the the good that other people are doing. You sort of see the, the negative. Um, pride, self-reliance, all these things are, are barriers to gratitude. As I mentioned, um, the sense of entitlement is something we, we have. Um, and there's actually a, a sort of a, a, a mental disorder called uh, narcissism that is a, a sort of an extreme... extreme uh, case that, that gets to a clinical stage of a um, of sense of entitlement where people think they're entitled to particular uh, um, recognition or, or people doing what they say. I've actually downloaded the diagnostic criteria for narcissism and, and you know, one of the criteria here is a sense of entitlement. 
expectation of being a favourable treatment, automatic compliance with what, what you want. And so that, that, that can, you know, we've all got it to a degree, but when it reaches sort of those extreme levels, it's part of a mental disorder that, that we can suffer. You know, it's interesting when we talk about the, you know, we come together every Sunday, usually on a Sunday in our Western world, to, to break bread, as we call it. And we use these different terms to describe that meeting that we call it, you know, our way it's called the memorial meeting and we call it the breaking of bread or fellowship or um, the, the love feast. I've heard all, all these different terms that we use. Do you know what the early Christians used to call uh, the, the breaking of bread? you know what the term they used? Anyone might know? The, heard of the Eucharist? Ever heard that term, the Eucharist? It's actually in the Greek Orthodox Church, they still call it the Eucharist today, but they've totally <laughs> made it all weird with people you know, wafting incense and all sorts of things. So it's not, it's not anything like the simplicity of the, the early Christians, but they call it the Eucharist. You know, what is, does anyone know what Eucharist means? Good, good grace, good gift. Good, it's, oh, thankfulness. It's actually, it's actually the stock standard word for thankfulness in the New Testament. So, and it's probably taken because of all, all, the, all those um, sections of Scripture that our chairman reads on a Sunday. You know, he, he took the bread and gave thanks. Eucharist. Eucharisto is the actual word. So I'm thinking, instead of calling ourselves just Christadelphians, we should be Eucharistadelphians. That's just a <laughs> plain word there. But thank, being thankful is, is at the very heart. So the early Christians, when they went to the meeting, they didn't call it the meeting, but what was the, the, you know, the overriding sentiment that they felt when they took bread and wine is shown by that term. They saw it as something of thankfulness. It was a thankfulness feast, a Eucharist and, and, and thankfulness is very at the very core of it, the very heart of it. And uh, something maybe we've lost sight of, I'm not saying everyone has, but maybe me, you know, you lose sight of that um, underlying importance in, in the memorial emblems or whatever we use to we want to call it. So let's think of it as the, the thankfulness feast. That should, it should be a generator of thankfulness. And that's why we have it on a regular basis because we get caught up in life and, and the problems and trials and all those things that we experience in life and, and we come along every Sunday and it, it re-energises our thankfulness and puts us back into perspective and refocuses our lives. So that's, that's, that's quite, a, I think, a very telling thing that the, the first Christians called it that. Um, just a couple of points before we close. Actually, if you've got a Bible, have a look in Luke 17 very, very quickly. We're nearly finished because if I go over time, my wife see this camp and I get in big trouble. So I can't get away with that. Luke 17, just a, just a, I think it's a little telling little picture of what Jesus thinks about gratitude. Here's a story where Jesus healed these ten lepers. Uh, it says in verse 11, It came to pass, he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And verse 12, as he entered into a certain village... There met him ten men that were lepers. And notice their, their stance initially. It says they stood afar off. So, so they're separated. There's a barrier between them and Jesus in a way, a big distance. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they're, they're separated from, from Jesus and they're desiring mercy. You can see the little word picture even in there emerging, can't you, as you read those things. And Jesus saw them and says to them, show yourself to the priests. And as they turned to do that, they were healed. So they're actually healed. 
And so the other nine, nine of the guys who were healed, sort of keep walking and, and heading off to see the priest. One of them says he's a Samaritan, turns back, and he goes back to Jesus in verse 15 when he saw that he was healed, and with a loud voice he glorified God. And Jesus is impressed with this. And Jesus says to him, uh, and, uh, sorry, he didn't just glorify God, he fell down on his face, in verse 16, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. So see, there's the Eucharisto, there's, the Eucharist, there's thankfulness to Jesus for what he'd done. And it says that he was a Samaritan to boot. Jesus said to him, weren't there not ten cleaned or cleansed? Where are the other nine? Now, interestingly enough, the other nine would obeying Jesus. Jesus said, go and see the priest. So they were actually doing what Jesus had said. They were obeying him. They were off to see the priest. But you see how thankfulness transcends just obedience, doesn't it? Just, just obeying Jesus. It, it's something voluntarily that he did beyond what he was told to do. This is the beauty of thankfulness. And he runs back to Jesus, falls at his feet. He didn't have to do that. And he says, you know, he gave Jesus thanks. And Jesus says, what about the other nine? Verse 18 says, they are not found to return to give glory to God, save this, this stranger. And Jesus says to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That little statement. Now he's been made whole. He was once afar off. He comes to Jesus in thanks and Jesus says, you're now made whole. Well, the other nine, he was already made whole, really, when he got healed the first time. And the other nine were also made whole, although they were healed anyway. But this man came back and Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. There was, a, there was something more powerful about his change than just the physical cleansing of his leprosy. He was made whole. You know, he was, he was a holistic miracle that Jesus performed, spirit and mind, and, uh, sorry, body and, and mind in, in, that, in that instance. But just the, the attitude of thankfulness that Jesus sort of um, loved and responded to in that, in that, in that man's um, experience there. I won't look up these verses, but I might get everyone to just yell, yell out the missing word, because as well as loving thankfulness, God also hates the opposite, of, uh, which is unthankfulness. And just two verses, I'm sure you'll know them, so you can yell these out with me. You know, Romans 1 is this really interesting chapter, but it's got this real awful list of, I suppose, the debauchery of human nature in that, in that list, where, where, the, where, where human nature has reached its lowest. And it mentions all these horrible things, debauchery and, and lust and homosexuality and vile affections, and all these, all these things, and it lists it all there in Romans chapter 1 to show how the world without God has fallen so far below God's principles and God's values. And then get, you get to verse 21 in that list and it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. Excellent. So thankfulness is listed in this, you know, all these horrible things. And we could all go, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's horrible, that's horrible, that's horrible. Neither were they thankful. It's, it's a... It's an indication that, that there's no response to God whatsoever, is there? There's no thankfulness. It's just it's totally missing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's exactly right. And see if you can know this one as well. Second Timothy 3, verse 2. In the last days, again, it's sort of 
picturing a last day situation, whether it's the last days of Judah's uh, you know, existence uh, under the mosaic system or whether it's the last days in the future. In the last days, perilous times shall come. And what's going to be the feature of last days? Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. <laughs> exactly. So you can see the... It, it, it's, it's, it's not what you would put on a normal list where you have to list all the terrible things that we see in the world. It's probably... We'd put all these other things, murderers, etc., and all these other things. And, but God has inserted it there in those lists. Unthankful. It's sort of indicative of, of where ungodliness reigns and where... Um, God's ways are just totally ignored. And so the opposite is, if we're thankful and we bring that thankfulness into our hearts, it's the opposite, isn't it? We're, 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 God is reigning supreme in us and, uh, and uh, we, are, we are, you know, in a sense, living the kingdom that we want to see established on this earth. We're living it in our, in our lives. Because thankfulness continues on into immortality, as, as we know. All right, might just finish up there. So I just made another quick list of things to be thankful for. Thankful that you're actually breathing. That's the interesting one. Thankful for your eyes. We've talked about that and the, beauties of the beauty of the day. Thankful that you can walk. Thankful for the bre- simple breakfast you might have had. Thankful that you can read. How about that one, eh? Thankful for the person sitting next to you. Oh, <laughs> thankful that you've got fingers and hands. Thankful for the bird you saw flying. Thank you for your children. That's not always that easy, is it? No, I, I kid, I kid. Thank you for your grandchildren if you're at that stage of life. Thank God for the Bible sitting on your lap. That's a miracle, isn't it, that not everyone's experienced. Thankful, be thankful for the job you've got to go to next week, even though you may not love it. It's a, it's a blessing, isn't it? Um, be thankful for the problems you're experiencing right now in your life, whether it's a relationship problem or an uh, ecclesial problem. In, in some way, God's working in your life right now, and it's... As Hebrews 12 says, God, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not bastards, are we? We're, we're, God is, is working our life and chastising us and developing us and moulding us for, for the future. Thank God for the hope of the kingdom. Thank God for his grace and mercy. Thank God for his only begotten son. Thank God, thank God, thank God. And, and just let's keep thankfulness in our, in our hearts all the time. Well, just to finish off, um, a group... We didn't have a reading, as Andy said, so we're going to, we're going to do something else instead. I, just, I think thankfulness is something we can express in so many ways, and of course it's an internal attitude, but to me, I find thankfulness um, heightened and accentuated when I can praise God, and, and, and music and singing are, are powerful ways to, tr- to express thankfulness. And, and what singing and praise to God does is bring God into my present. That's what it does. And I, in the car, I... I listen to like Sons of I don't know if you heard of Sons of Cora and some things like that. Instead of listening to you know Triple M or whatever radio stations you've got, or the ABC or Talkback Radio, where everyone's grumbling about the you know the garbage men not coming on time, whatever it is. Like listen to something powerful, so you know good good talk or a good study or or some good spiritual music. And I'm just going to give you an example from the Old Testament of, of how spiritual music can be used to to bring God into our consciousness. And this is a, I don't know if you've ever heard of antiphonal singing. It's where they do it a lot in the Eastern religions and uh, in the, the church my, my dad's family are a part of. It's how they do everything. It's, got, it's really weird to go to an Orthodox church and there's a guy sitting up, in, sitting up that side and there's another guy up there and they just sing to each other the whole time in Greek. It's all pretty exciting. But it's this, this sort of back and forward singing that goes on. 
And it was very much, as I said, part of the Eastern tradition. And it's, it's there in the Old Testament. And it's also called uh, responsorial singing, where you, you, two people respond to each other. Now, you'll recognise it once I give you some examples, but in some big, big items in the New Testament, or big events in the New Testament, um, we see this concept of responsive singing or antiphorial singing. In Ezra, where they, when they built the, uh, you know, they built the second temple, as it's called, the, 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 the temple they built when they came back out of captivity, it says they sung together by course in the authorised version, by course. If you look up the ESV, it says responsively. That means this idea of back and forward singing. In praising and giving thanks unto the Lord. So you see the idea of praising and giving thanks, sort of linked together. Because he is good for his mercy endures to ever, forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So you can see this. This, this responsive singing and how it would work was the, the leaders, you know, the, the, the priests of the Levites would lead with a statement and the people would respond, the Lord is good for his mercy endures forever. And it's just reinforcing the concept of gratitude to God for his mercy in our, in our minds and our hearts. Here's a, the dedication of the temple, the, the first temple. And all the children of Israel saw how fire came down, the glory of the Lord upon the house. They bowed themselves with their faces to the ground, their pavement, they worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And the priests waited on their officers, the Levites also, with the instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord, because his mercy endures forever. And you see this, this sort of refrain that comes up over and over again. It's just quite beautiful. And then this whole idea is sort of captured in Psalm 136. And this is what we'll finish on. Um, to close our night, as I said, instead of a reading, we'll do a reading at the end. But I'm going to get everyone to join in with me as we go through this. So I'm going to pretend to be the, the priest, if you like. I've always wanted to be a priest. How awesome is that? Um, I'm going to say the first phrase, and then everyone's going to join in and go, say, for his mercy endures forever. So we're all, we're all up for it. And just to try and bring, bring God into our minds and praise and gratitude into our, in, into our thoughts. So... Let's give it a go. I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll get, I'm sorry if I've been blocking you guys or not. I'll try and get out of your way. Let's go. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone doth great wonders. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters. To him that made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts and made Israel to pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him which led his people through the wilderness. To him which smote the great kings and slew the famous kings. Siho, king of the Amorites. And Og, the king of Bashan, and gave their land for a heritage, 
even a heritage unto Israel his servant, who remembered us in our lowest state, and hath redeemed us from our enemies, who giveth food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. You just feel the power of that, can't you? That, that refrain built into that, that beautiful psalm that reminds us to always thank God in our life. Thank you, Andy.